7. Psalm before the uh, Easter time, I preached seven sermons about uh, who Jesus was, and we had been in Genesis before that, and so we're returning back to our study of Genesis. And I want to bring you a sermon this morning about the, what's in my copy of God's Word, the title here, this paragraph, is called The Stolen Blessing. And I've titled it just The Blessing because I'm not sure if stolen is the right term. It's an interesting um, story to think through and think about. And uh, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with the story, but I'm going to... Uh, I timed how long it would take to read it this morning. It took just a little, little less than five minutes to, to read this chapter. And so... Uh, I don't know if we should spend five minutes reading it or not. I guess it's the word of the Lord. It's probably okay. What do you think? Probably, probably won't kill us. That'll be the, five, the best five minutes of the sermon, <laughs> no doubt. So let's look at Genesis 27, verse number 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow. Go out to the field and take me some venison and make me savory food, which such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spoke unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me some savory food that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord, bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch from there two good kids of the goats, and I will make of them savory food for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is an hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father perhaps will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, go and fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took the choicest raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came into his father, And said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, for my, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he recognized him not, because his hands were hairy, 
as his brother Esau's, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. He smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Isaac, his brother, came in from hunting, and he also had made savory food and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto him, Who art thou? He said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And have eaten of, and I have eaten uh, and I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Isaac, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he hath supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt Break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother, Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee thou to Laban, my brother to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from there. Why should I deprive also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these who are the daughters of the land? What good shall my life be? What good shall my life do me? We trust the Lord as a blessing to the reading of His Word. 
<clears throat> this story is about a blessing. It's a blessing given by Isaac to one of his sons. It was intended or thought to be intended for Esau. This blessing is very important. In the culture in which we live in, this generational blessing is not that big of a deal. But in the East, in those ancient times, it was a big deal. It was a very big deal in the life of Isaac and his family. And this blessing, of a, this blessing that Isaac is going to give is a blessing that conferred to the recipient authority over the family. It made him the Lord of the family. And along with that, when all the property and possessions of the father, Isaac says, I've, I've blessed him. I've said you, to Esau, he says, you have to obey your brother. And I've sustained him with all my belongings. So basically, Jacob is the chief heir. Jacob is the functional firstborn in this family now. Whoever receives this blessing is the firstborn, the eldest, even if they were the baby of the family. If you're the baby of the family, that may seem like something you would like to have happen to you. If you're the oldest of the family, you're not too keen on it. <laughs> you could be replaced, you know. Normally, this, this blessing would fall upon the firstborn son of a family. And so far in Scripture, in the life of Abraham, this blessing was not always conferred on the firstborn. Remember, Abraham's firstborn son was Ishmael. But the blessing was given to Isaac, who was the one chosen by God to be the seed-bearing one. And unfortunately, when you read this story about Isaac and Rebekah, you kind of have to remember the situation in the family. In chapter 25, verse 28, the Bible tells us that Isaac and Rebekah had favorite children. The Bible says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, that is not the way it was when they were first born, more than likely. In my opinion, as those boys grew, they developed different characteristics or mannerisms or ways of being that attracted the father to one and the mother to the other. My friends, your children and my children, they're all different. They're different personalities. They have different interests. They're different genders. And sometimes, even unintentionally, parents will develop favorites, preferring one over the other. Kids are all different. We have to be aware of our tendency to prefer one child over another. They're individuals. May the Lord help us and permit us to enjoy not the, uh, not the sameness of our children, but their diversity. We had five kids, man, they're all, they're all different. They're all different. All annoying in different ways. <laughs> all wonderful in different ways. It's, but you have to let them be their own, their own selves. When I was a kid growing up, my brother was into Taekwondo in a big way. Big way. I never really was into Taekwondo at all. I took it for a little while, but it just, I didn't like it. But my dad allowed me and my brother both to pursue our own different interests. He let us be the men we were and develop these our own interests. And we should let our children do it as well. Instead of being annoyed that they're so different or that they're not like you or like their mom, enjoy how they are. Even when we don't understand why they like something. Now, when I was a kid growing up, my grandpa, man, he hated Taekwondo with a purple passion. He didn't like it a bit. And he always gave my brother a lot of grief about it. And you know what happened? My brother's attitude towards my grandfather 
that's never been the same as mine. I talk about my grandpa like he's head number four on Mount Rushmore, right? He is a great man in my life. My brother has a very different perspective. Because my brother, all he ever got from Paul was, why are you doing that Taekwondo? What's wrong with that? You like jumping around in pajamas? <laughs> my grandpa just wasn't keen on it. It pushed, it pushed my brother away in a sense. In a way, and it wasn't intentional. So we have to guard against these things as parents, you know. Now, in our text in Genesis 27, a very sad story unfolds. And we go from an old man who is making his dying request, his last request, this old man, Isaac. That's how the story starts. The story ends, chapter 27 ends with Esau saying, I'm going to kill Jacob. As soon as I get a chance, he's dead. And in the middle of the story, we have a wife who is complicit in trying to deceive her husband for the good of what looks like her favorite kid, Jacob. At least that's what it looks like. Now, in the reading, Rebecca deceives Jacob. She deceives Isaac. But why would Rebecca do that? Why is Rebecca doing such a thing? Why would she make any attempt at all to secure for Jacob the rights and blessings of the firstborn. How dare she do such a thing? Why would she even think of it? What would cause her to do this? In chapter 25, verse 23, there is a prophecy about Jacob that Rebekah remembers. If you have your Bible, listen to what it says in Genesis 25, verse 23. Rebekah has the babies in her womb and there's such a conflict in her womb. In verse 22, she prays to the Lord, and she says, Why am I thus? Why am I afflicted like this, she says. Verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be born of thee. The one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. A prophecy has been given. The Lord has said something. Now, friends, 25.23 says this is the word of the Lord. This is God speaking directly to Rebekah. This is divine revelation. This is not just prophecy. This is a prophecy from God himself. So in that statement, that's the word of God. This is the way it's going to be. This is God's word. The elder shall serve the younger. This is the word of God. And all of Rebecca's actions in chapter 27 appear to be because she knew the word of God. She knew it. She loved it. She's devoted to fulfilling the word of God. You see, Rebecca's devotion to Jacob, her preference for him over Esau, it could be connected to this prophecy that God has said this is the one. This is my chosen one. Now, from chapter 25 to chapter 27, a lot of time has passed. There's some debate over the age of Isaac in chapter 27, verse 1. I, now, you guys do the math with me. You ready? Ready to do the math? Isaac got married when he was 40 years old. How old was he? 40. After 20 years, Rebecca gets pregnant and has a child. That makes Isaac how old? 60 years old. In chapter 26, the last few verses, it says that 
in verse 34, Esau was 40 years old when he married his two wives. So if you're 60 when you have your first kid and your first kid gets married when he's 40, how does that make you? 100. (laughs) Now, I don't know how much gap is between the last verse of 26 and the first verse of 27, but there's a debate here. And I don't want to get into all the rigor, all the ins and outs of it. I'll just simply tell you that most Old Testament scholars believe that between 26 and 27 are maybe 37 years. Maybe 37 years. Isaac's an old man. And they, they derive that from his ultimate age when he dies. But it has this age that he is in, I'm sorry, 47 years. The scholars say he's probably 147 years old in chapter 27, verse 1. And one of the reasons that, one of the supporting reasons for this is because uh, that's the same age his brother Ishmael died at age 147. Now, when uh, Valerie's dad, uh, his father died when he was 57, 57. And so Ron, he kind of thought that when he reached 57, maybe he was going to die at 57 too. And he always talked about it, you know, when I get to be 57. But he hit 57 and went past it, you know, 100 miles an hour, you know, down, <laughs> down towards a different age. But people, when we have people in our families who are close to us, when they, we reach the age that they were when they died, we think, wow, am I going to die? But whatever his age, actual age is in chapter 27, Isaac has reached the days of Ecclesiastes 12.1. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember God in your youth before the evil days come when you say you have no pleasure in them. You see, what happens to us is the older we get, the days, our time, don't, our life doesn't give us the same pleasure that it used to, the same joys. If you go down to the, the rest homes or go visit folks who are living in their houses, They've gotten weakened by age and and deterioration. They can't do the things they used to do. In fact, to move, to get up, to think, to drink, to cook for themselves, to wash, it becomes a burden that it never was before. I do things now, and I don't even think about know, Maybe I won't be able to do it anymore. What would it be like to have a life where you couldn't fish? Not because there wasn't no water, or there wasn't no fishing poles, or no money to buy the stuff but no ability to go down to the water and fish. No ability to scramble down the bank or paddle in a canoe. Solomon says, remember God in your youth. Serve God while you're young because the evil days are going to come when you're going to say these are just evil days. And the first section of Ecclesiastes 12 describes old age. And I preached one sermon from that passage in Arkansas. And Edith May, a lady in the church, after the service, she said, I'm never coming back to church unless you make me a promise. I said, what is it? She said, never preach that passage again. <laughs> it, was so, it was so depressing to her to hear it. So Isaac's an old man, and now he's thinking about the end of his own life. And like the man in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Isaac is looking at his prosperity, looking at all the things that he has, looking at his home there looking at his flocks, his, his bank accounts, everything that he has, and he says, who's going to get this when I die? He's thinking about his own death. Who is going to take my possessions? Who's going to do the very best job with this? Who does Isaac decide is the man for the job? 
God already told us who the man for the job was. God said, Jacob's the guy. But what does Isaac say? Esau. Esau, come in here. I want you to go and kill me a deer and make that special deer gravy the way only you can. And you bring it back to me. And after you give it to me, I'll bless you with this blessing. He decides it's Esau. Esau is a guy who you probably would pick. Esau is a powerful figure. He's a hunter. He's probably also a warrior, a soldier. He's a dashing and deeply masculine man. He, Jacob's already said it. We read it. He's hairy. He's hairy. And already, Esau, unlike Jacob, they're both the same age. They're twins. They're both 40 years of age, but only one brother's married, and it's Esau. And he didn't marry just one woman. He married two. <laughs> he has started his family. We don't know if he has children, but he has a family. He has a wife. He has responsibility. He sets up housekeeping. He's already made those moves into maturity that caused somebody to go, that's, that's a guy who squared away. Isaac loves Esau. He's inspired by Esau. Maybe even also as Isaac has deteriorated, the Bible says that, Esau, that Isaac is blind, Esau may also have started to take a leading role in the family business. But whatever's going on, Isaac has said, Esau's the man. He calls for Esau, and he says, make me this delicious food. Do this for me. One commentator says that Isaac knows he's doing the wrong thing, and he needs this good food to lift his spirits as he does the wrong thing. It's an interesting thing to think about. He needs some encouragement, the writer says, to do the evil. Isaac is doing something that's wrong. He has to override his conscience because of the prophecy. The prophecy. You may say, well, Isaac didn't know about the prophecy. My friends, let me tell you something. I've been married for 23 years to the same woman, and every night when I crawl into bed with her, it's never just good night. It's a recounting of the day's events. A little talk. A little talk. We haven't had time to, to talk about all the stuff of the kids and you know, life. And so right there before bed, you have all these, these little chit-chats. What are we going to do tomorrow? Did you do this? What are we gonna do? All these little chats. And I can, I can just imagine Isaac crawled into, into bed with Rebecca as she's great with child. And she says, guess what? I prayed today about why there's this conflict in my belly, and God told me something. I can't see Rebecca keeping it from Isaac. In fact, none of the commentators can see it either. It's such a big deal. God has spoken. The word of the Lord has come. So Isaac had to have known the prophecy. Rebecca, she hears Isaac doing this. She hears him saying, it's going to be Esau. It's going to be Esau. And so she hears this. She knows it's contradictory to the word of God. So she moves with incredible speed and wisdom. She sets in motion a plan. She takes care of this. In verses 6 to 17, she, she says, here's what we're going to do. She gets Jacob. She tells him, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to cook it. You're going to deliver it. You put the 
Esau must have been a hairy dude because she says, take the skins of the goats and put it on your neck and your forearms. That way, your dad will know it's you. And she says, and also, you're going to put on Esau's best clothes. One commentator says, why in the world does a, does a married man keep clothes at his mother's house? Well, I think that's probably not that, all that weird, <laughs> in my opinion. They all live together kind of communally. She says, I have Esau's best clothes. I'm going to put them on you. We're going to, we're going to do this. Is, is she doing this? Is she just a wicked wife who wants her baby to get ahead of Esau? Does she believe that Esau, that Isaac has lost his mind and she's trying to protect the family future here? Is she trying to install a puppet king on the throne of their family that she can control? Martin Luther and others, they all point out that Rebecca is the one here who is trying to obey the word of God, that she loves the word of God. She wants to see God's will be done. Luther says Isaac is actively and intentionally doing the opposite of God's expressed will. Now that puts new color on the whole story for me. To see Rebecca as a woman of God trying to fulfill the will of God by keeping her husband from a serious error reminds me of the kind of girl she was in Genesis 24. When, they first, when she first enters the narrative, when they first discover her, this girl who sees a man, a stranger, a foreigner, with all his camels at the well, and she says, hey, sir, do you want some water? A real kind girl, a sweet girl. Do you want me to give you some water, strange man? He says, yes. And then she says, and you know what? I'll just get water for all your camels, too. And she, she takes care of everybody. She's a girl who, when she hears the proposal of marriage via a surrogate, via a messenger, she says, okay, I think this is of the Lord. I'll go and be Isaac's wife. She'd never met Isaac. Rebecca, she's an interesting woman. A woman who hears the word of God and wants to see it fulfilled. Say, well, what about all these lies she tells? What about deceptions? True enough. She lies, Jacob lies, and these are all sins. <laughs> you, can't, you can't call them not sins. Luther says that these sins happen because of a, 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 a prior sin, that one sin begets another. If Isaac is supposed to choose Jacob and he refuses to obey God, that's a sin. And all these other sins trickle down from that fountain. This is how she used deception. Think about how she uses deception. Does Rebecca do this to put herself in a better position? No. Was she trying to bamboozle or rob Esau? Is she trying to pull a fast one on, on Esau? No. Is she attempting to get rid of Isaac? No. Because Isaac lives after this blessing for about almost 40 more years. You see, Isaac just thought he was going to die. <laughs> he was just freaked out, but he didn't die till for 40 years. This woman, Rebecca, she's committed to the word. So committed that when Jacob says to her, Mom, what if dad curses me when he finds out what we're doing? What does she say? Does she say, I'll talk him out of it? That's not what she says. She says, I'll take the curse. This is a woman who's laying it all on the line. All on the line for the word of God. 
Remember how Rahab lied in Joshua chapter 2? The spies have come and the people of Jericho want to find the spies and kill them. And they say, where are they? She says, I don't know. But she knew right where they are. She'd hidden them already. Remember how David, in 1 Samuel 21, he's on the run from King Saul. King Saul's trying to kill him. And David goes down to the Philistines. To put it in perspective, it'd be like a U.S. soldier running away from his commanding officer and going down and knocking on the door of Al-Qaeda and saying, hey, you guys hide me out? And they find and they open the door and they say, hey, yeah, come on in. Then they realize what they got. This is a U.S. soldier. And the guy, David, begins to act crazy. Begins to let the drool run down his beard and pretends to be a nut. And they say, we got enough nuts around here. (laughs) And they kick him out. Deceptions. Deceptions for a divine purpose. Luther says that when the first table of the Ten Commandments is violated, that when Isaac did not obey God's word in choosing Jacob for the blessing, that Isaac was breaking the first law, the first table. That Isaac was saying, you're not, you're not God. You're not my God. I'm not going to obey you. Luther says when the first, commandment is, first table of commandments are broken, you cannot expect the second table to be obeyed. That's the section that contains lies. In essence, what almost all the commentators almost uniformly say, that the greater sin here in this story is not Rebekah and Jacob's deceptions, but the greater sin is Isaac's. Because Isaac is rejecting the word of God. He is the source of the problem. He is saying, I know better than God. And my friends, this is something you and I have to guard against with great, with great attention. To presume that you or I know better than God has expressed in His Word is a foolish thing for us to do. Foolish. Jacob's deception does not go unpunished. Neither does Rebecca's. There's consequences for their actions. It's not like they told a lie and got off. Oh, no. Rebecca knows it's forever changed her relationship with Esau. She says, I don't want you to stick around, Jacob, because I don't want Esau to kill you. I don't want to lose both my boys in one day. She knows Esau ain't coming to family dinner anymore. She knows Esau's not going to be happy with her ever again. She knows. She's counted the cost. Jacob, he deceives his father and in just about seven years, he's going to be down working for a guy. He's going to move. He's going to move to a different place. He's going to meet a girl named Rachel, a beautiful, lovely girl. And he's going to go to her father and say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And he's going to say, work for me for seven years and you can have her. She must have been something to give up seven years of your life for. She must have been something. He works for her for seven years. And then that night on the wedding night, what does Laban do? He deceives Jacob. And brings Jacob a veiled beauty, but it's not Rachel. It's her sister. He deceives and is deceived. So they didn't get off with this scot-free. There are consequences to actions. In our story, we see Esau's anger. Remember, Isaac said, Esau's the guy. He's the one to take care of the family. But Esau's reaction is notable. Esau, when he learns about this, He gets a blessing. He gets a a blessing he views as inferior, but it looks like a fairly significant blessing, in my opinion. 
But in the midst of his anger, Esau's true character is revealed. He wants a blessing. He gets one, but not the one he wants. So now he says, I'm going to kill my brother. But here, but notice Esau says, when the days of my father's mourning are past, I will kill him. He says, when dad's dead, I'm going to kill Jacob. Now, what, what is going on with that? Well, If Esau kills Jacob, who is at that time unmarried, and dad is dead, guess who all of Jacob's belongings, guess who all of his, his uh, guess who inherits Jacob's stuff? His brother. Esau wants what Jacob's got. And he says, I'll kill to get it. I'll do anything. Esau is not saying, I will do whatever God says to get it. He says, no. I'll do whatever it takes to satisfy myself. My friends, you might find that you're the very same kind of person willing to do whatever it takes sometimes to get your way instead of doing it God's way. This is all God's. It's God's will for Jacob to be in this position and Esau should submit to it. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us what kind of guy Esau was. It tells us that Esau was a fornicator, that he was an unholy, unrighteous man. He was a man who, in the worship of the family, if he took a role in family worship, he was a man who only pretended to know God. And pretenders can only pretend for so long. Pretenders can only pretend for so long. This man, Esau, this is not the man God wants to be the head of the covenant people. God wanted Jacob. And, and remember, the Bible says in Malachi and in Romans that God chose Jacob to be the head of the covenant people before the children were born, neither one having done good or evil. God didn't choose Jacob because Esau was bad. God chose Jacob because he wanted Jacob. Jacob is the one. God purposed that Jacob be the one. And that's what's happening here in the story. God purposed what would happen, and it did, in spite of man's attempt to stop it. Isaac, he's gonna, he's, I'm going to make Esau the guy. What does God do? God stops him. Friends, I want you to think about this, that our God whom we serve is not thwartable. He cannot be stopped. His purposes, his plans cannot be stopped. They will come to pass. This is yet another example of that. So what should our response be to this? Here are three things. Okay, number one. You and I need to demonstrate a commitment to the revealed will of God in His Word. To God's Word. Not to anything else. But to God's Word. A commitment to His revealed will, even if it means we lose and we sacrifice, that we suffer because of it. This is what Rebecca does. Number two, we should submit to God's revealed will in His Word, even when it means we do not get our way, and even if it means we get humbled, hurt, or harassed. Remember, Rebecca is willing to suffer a curse for her actions. 
She's willing to live with this. Stigma. Have you ever heard a sermon that said Rebecca was a great gal in chapter 27? I never have. She's just always the plotting, conniving, wicked wife (laughs) who does the wrong thing. Stigma, curse. Number three, we should respond to God's purposes and his expressed will thoughtfully. We should think thoughtfully about this. God says in his word that all things work together for good to those that love him and to those who are the called according to his purpose. It's all a part of God's purpose. Both the blessing of rain and the flood that takes away our house in that rain. It's God's purpose. It's for our good. We can't see the good all the time. But it's God's purpose. It's God's plan. And we should thoughtfully think about these things. We sing the psalm, the song, Why must it be thus all the day long? While others go unmolested, but though in the wrong. God has purposed everything in our lives, both the good and evil, for our ultimate good. And the people who should appreciate that the most of all are those who love God, those who are his children. Recently, we had a little conversation at the house about one of the kids getting to do something or go somewhere. And, you know, and as a, as a parent, generally, I'm a yes guy. Can I jump off the roof? Yes. <laughs> you know, can I, can I walk around with a gun? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm the yes person. You know, I'm a, I'm a yeser. But every once in a while, you got to say no, right? And sometimes the no, a kid will go, I don't get, why, why, why am I hearing a no? I don't get this. It doesn't make any sense to me. He said, well, dad's off his rocker. He's a, he's, he's a crackpot. Knucklehead. What's wrong with him? You know, sometimes you just got to say no, and it's not because you're being cruel. Sometimes, sometimes parents are just afraid. You know, you, so you, you say no. You don't explain yourself, you say no. And we have to, and children should submit to that. And sometimes you and I, we're asking the Lord and God just says no. We have to trust his purpose. We're trusting his superior knowledge, his superior plan, his superior way in the world. We're trusting God. We're being thoughtful about it. Friends, do what you know is right according to scripture, according to God's word, and then rest in him, even when you can't see it, even when it doesn't look like it's going to work out the right way, trust in the Lord. But if you have been like Isaac and you have heard the word of the Lord and disobeyed the word of the Lord, I want to tell you something. If you sinned against him, just say, Lord, I did the wrong thing. Please forgive me. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess them. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The if is the if we confess our sins. If we bow up and stiffen up, there's going to be consequence. Now let's look and see how God sums up the whole life of Isaac. We've painted Isaac in a negative picture, haven't we? The guy who doesn't want to do what God says. Well, let's see how God describes Isaac in the last day. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews chapter number 11. It's only one sentence, but I sure would love to have my name in one sentence in this part of the Bible. This is the hall of faith. This is where the greatest of the great, you find their names. Here's what God says. God says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. God's summation of Isaac's overall life, this is a man of faith. Man of faith. God's way more merciful than you and I are. God takes an accounting of our whole life, not just one episode. God is so wonderful. So wonderful. How can a man like Isaac, who denies God's law, denies God's word, how can God just overlook that? Because Isaac's sins were paid for by Jesus Christ, just like your sins are paid for Jesus Christ. And if you want to know the benefit of that, you put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. In the shed blood of Christ. And we trust the Lord to add his blessing. Let's stand together and sing 383. Jesus paid.